Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today we have more time with Leo, we have revenge ideology about Calypso, we have another crazy, crazy woman, so stay tuned. Crazy ladies to discuss with some wonderful returning guests. Y'all are all probably going to be so excited. We have Ola and Jackson back. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hey. Tell us a little bit about how everything's been going. Holidays. There has been New Year's. There's been gym selfies. There's been all of it. All right, Jackson, do you want to get everyone started? Yeah, sure. Uh, 2022, fitness is my passion. Um <laughs> Jim Bro games. Yeah, no, I've been going to the gym a bunch, which has been fun. Love my job. Love being in DC. Love Ola. That's what's up with me. Oh, I love Jackson. Huge Jackson fan. And I guess for me, you know, 2022, I don't do resolutions. I kind of do like a theme. And this year we're doing elevate, appreciate, create. Of just like elevating Ooh. ourselves, so focusing on things like that, appreciating what's around us and practicing gratitude and really looking to like nurture our passions outside of work because some of us are in school, some of us work corporate jobs, so we're losing our souls. So that's been really good. Lives here. <laughs> My girlfriend moved in back in August. She brought me pizza rolls when we started recording. Oh, life is good. So 2021 was great 2022 is probably going to be great jackson goes to the gym i love that for him the selfies are the highlight of my day me too <laughs> me too keep them coming we're literally on the blood of olympus now this is a brand new book we kind of just started it mm-hmm. when did you guys first read this book any feelings about this book in particular memories yeah i think i read this sophomore or junior year of high school if i remember correctly and there was this girl in my high school who lent it to me And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was very popular with queer women at my high school. And I was very much dating a man. Popular in general, though, right? Oh, yes. I also found out recently that I was just popular in high school. Ola's been popular literally always. (laughs) No, I got bullied through middle school and a little bit in elementary school. I'll be forthcoming with I was bullied. As did everyone. I was bullied, as we all are. I didn't think I was a bully, but, you know, we all cause harm. But. (laughs) Hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. (laughs) But yeah, I borrowed it from my friend Jess, who was like one of like the out lesbians in our high school. And it was just nice because all the people I talked to about Prissy Jackson were queer women. And now flash forward, like what, seven years? I am a queer woman. So queer woman for Percy Jackson. I love this book so much. because (laughs) I love this book a lot because it had my least favorite trope in it, which is love triangles. I hate them, but I thought the way that Rick did it was not annoying. So this is like the only love triangle I stand of Percy, Leo, and Calypso. Because Calypso doesn't give a damn about Percy. It's such an irrelevant (laughs) love triangle. She literally does not care. She has moved on. There's been many a hero that has washed up on her island. She does not care. Mm. We're going to talk about that today in today's POV. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Jackson? Uh, I read it when it first came out, so however old we were. And then I reread it during my time on the Biden campaign when I needed something to do in between my phone calls. And I sped through them really fast. And I was like, wow, (laughs) 
am I just the world's greatest reader? Jesus. I was like, anyway, these are books for young adults. And I am uh, I am 22 with a college degree, so I can read these pretty quickly. They, they kind of fly by. Um, Jackson's the best in literary classes, though. Don't let him be humble. He is a fun person to have in an English class because he doesn't read the book, but he has great opinions. <laughs> Does that stop me from participating? No. Okay. No. Never. He talk, talk, talking. He is talk, talk, talking. Someone <laughs> needs to share the opinion of the white men, you know? No. Thumbs down. Yeah, you We're silenced too often. You didn't do the reading. You flip through. You find one quote. You decide to make a thesis on that quote. You raise your hand first. You say, here's a quote. I just yep. wanted to bring it up for the class. Yep. Here's what I think the themes are involved here. You talk for like a little bit too long. So they're like, well, she participated <laughs> plenty for today. And then you're set. There's a little Zoom English hack for everyone. <laughs> You're all caught up with uh, how to participate in an English class when you haven't actually read anything. I will say, I do remember, not to set up a weird opinion on my end, I remember being a little disappointed by this book as like, oh, this is how this whole second series ends? Uh Okay. In the way that I felt at the first series, which I thought was a trilogy and then it turned into five books. Oh, look how everything is so well developed and everything has its place. This one, I was like, oh, this is super rushed. And I feel like he's just ending it. But also this book is like 500 pages. So how is it rushed? Yeah, Um, good point. I completely agree. That's a great framing. A lot of people definitely feel that way about Blood of Olympus. We're trying to develop our our formal and official thoughts as we read through this book. That being said, shall we get started with Leo's POV? His butt hanging out of the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. As we begin here, the first line is, Leo didn't want to come out of the wall, which... Nico didn't want to come out of the shadows either, but... (laughs) Some of us don't have a choice. If by shadows, do you mean closet? Yes. I did just have a long conversation with someone about how you should describe some people as being in the wall if the closet does not have a door. Ooh. You know? Um, That's like Uncle Bruno from Encanto, no? Oh my gosh. Oh. Don't even get us started on Encanto. We don't have enough time for all that. It is all our apartment has. <laughs> yes. Um, Rick is quick to inform us, quote, One problem with Leo's sanctuary, he only fit up to his waist. His butt and legs were still on view to the general public which made it hard for him to hide. That's just Adorable good comedy imagery. writing. It's good character mm-hmm. writing. I know... It, like, encompasses him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's where he is in his life, still. We talked, allegedly, about Leo maturing a lot last book because he had a girlfriend. Some things don't change. You know, that's that's how it is. <laughs> All women can't fix men. <laughs> he's poking around in the hole. He wants everybody to think he's just doing routine maintenance, but he's not. It's kind of a secret. It's confusing. What's going on, Carter? <laughs> Leo does not explain to us what is going on either, but we get some hints. Uh, Leo is dropping for us that um, this thing that he's doing is something he's been laying the groundwork for since before he built the ship, which is a little confusing. My first thought obviously was Calypso because we've just been talking about that. That seems to be his whole personality now, but this predates mm-hmm. her. He's doing something that has been around since the beginning and he gives us some quotes to get into his headspace as all of this is going on. I think this is from his father originally. The quote is, nothing lasts forever, not even the best machines. Also, everything can be reused. He also lets us know that whatever he's doing, if it fails, it would physically crush him. 
every time I read this, I was like, what <laughs> is going on? I forget every time. Rick knows. It's okay. <laughs> Rick actually does know what's happening. So that's all that matters. Rick does actually know what's happening, which is important. Something, something about machines being recyclable, everything being reused, nothing lasting forever. There's something probably maybe going on about Festus, Leo's robot best friend. But we'll see. We'll see what's going on here. He's talking about the Astrolab from Odysseus, and he was hoping that he was going to get some information on how it works when they went to Ithaca, but that didn't end up working out. But he has a, quote, super hot immortal girl waiting for him, (laughs) which I'm going to take the opportunity to pause here and ask Jackson and Leo, uh, Jackson and Ola, sorry. I'll be Leo for the pod. (laughs) Face disc kids about their thoughts on Calypso and Leo, Kaleo, Leo finding Ojigia. That whole thing. I I think Leo is sweet and that Percy was like, I guess I'm just going to plant some moon lace for her, but I'll never see her again. Goodbye. And Leo's like, cool, I'm a demigod with powers and I don't care that this island can't be found again. Yeah, bullshit. Like, <laughs> I feel like he's the first person who's like, I'm, I'm going to actually try to go back. Yeah. Which is sweet. But it's also hard because in terms of this weird love triangle that Rick is setting up, I think that Leo is the last person that Calypso would want to return, potentially. But also, (laughs) I mean, it took a long time for that boat to show up, okay? It took a long time for that boat to show up. I I feel like Percy was only there for, like, not as long as Leo. But I do like that Leo is like, look, I'm going back for her. Right. I think that's sweeter than oh, let me plant some flowers to remember this woman by. And it's like, well, she's still alive. I think the the real reason why is that Leo is the first person ever in history to show up to Calypso's Island having never, how do we say this gently? Having never felt the touch of a woman, um, having never <laughs> been romantically entangled with anyone. Oh, an incel. <laughs> Just call him an incel. <laughs> we did literally call him an incel in previous episodes. Um, <laughs> it doesn't negate that he is being good in showing commitment. Like, we love that someone should rescue Calypso from this island where she's in prison. Absolutely. But he was, he was a little thirsty. He washed up on that <laughs> desert island and was like, Y'all got coconut water? But no, they had Calypso. Um, and I love the way this love triangle is done. I hated the Rachel Elizabeth Dare, Annabeth Chase, Percy Jackson love triangle. What? But I like that Rick was kind of like, uh, Percy was there for like 18 hours. And Leo really spent some time there. I'm going to try to add this tension, but it's not real. So it's not going to be real. And I really respect that. Especially like, you know how some kids are not as cute as other kids and you'll have a crush and your prettier friend will have the same crush and the crush will date your prettier friend. This is what that felt like, but in a way that works out for the less pretty friend. And we love an underdog. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that Leo, especially to Jackson's point. Leo's like, I've never had a woman before. I'm not going to lose this. Yes, there are a billion fish in the sea, but there is one fish and I know I can find her. And I think that's really romantic. And I think this is one of the more underlooked romantic notes in the series. I think it's pretty cute. Leo's really cute. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> good i know my my opinion is hot no i know it's spicy i want to hear it i'll double down i know ola likes leo so i'm happy to hear it <laughs> i'm leo stan mm-hmm. leo while he's working is thinking about hazel 
asking him all these questions about Calypso. She Mm -hmm. figures it out immediately. We've talked about that, that he has a girl. And for whatever reason, she decides to, like, do a police sketch of Calypso, I guess, so that Leo can, like, have a picture of her hanging in his room. And that's what he does. And so now there's this, like, charcoal drawing. Also, Goff didn't know Hazel was an artist. Renaissance woman. I think the last time we talked about this is inside of Neptune. We're like, her dad shows up and is like, here's some paint or something for your art. And then, like, leaves forever. (laughs) She gets, like, colored pencil and, like, charcoal stuff from Pluto. Yeah. Pluto also seems like a better dad than Hades sometimes. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Next POV. (laughs) This, This charcoal painting makes me laugh because later on in this POV, Percy's, like, let's talk about Calypso. And Leo's like, how'd you know? And Percy's like, it's a small ship. I was like, also you have a picture of her hanging up in your bedroom that you're like never in and you leave the door open to because you sleep in the hole. Yes, you were the only two that have ever met her in this group of people. Of course he fucking knows who that is. Yeah, he gave it away with the charcoal drawing, but it's sweet of Hazel to want him to have a picture of his question mark lover. And he says, sit tight, sunshine, to the Calypso picture. I'll get back to you. Just like I promised, which depending on your POV is sweet and romantic or very annoying. <laughs> That's corny. He's a cornball. It's corny. Like, I love him a bit. He's corny. <laughs> my, okay, my biggest problem with this scene is not that he has the picture, which like, why not go off? I guess. Okay, I personally find it really weird that we include this description in which Hazel has to reconcile with Leo. Hazel has to be like, so Leo, you have a girlfriend. Let me do a favor to you in this new relationship that you're in so that we're all like supportive people who are in our separate relationships doing well. Maybe that's just me being a hater. I think it is just me being a hater, but so what? I'm a hater. I'm I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't feel like anyone's doing anything wrong, but it just feels weird to me that the scene is included in here. Why is Hazel so invested in Leo being happy now? Did they know each other before then? Or was he just kind of weird to her? Um, It's a little sad, but okay. They go to a team meeting. Important to note, Festus is very much alive on his own. He pilots the ship by himself. He makes blueberry smoothies. He's slay queening. Um, (laughs) Buford the Table is our chaperone now that Coach Hedge is gone. And Leo rigged a holographic simulation of a miniature Coach Hedge to like ride around and yell at them. I think it's so cute. Buford the Table is my favorite side character in all of Heroes of Olympus. We need a robot to slut shame the children now that the uh, <laughs> <laughs> goat man is gone. <laughs> we have the normal thing that we have every time we have a team meeting. We had to go around the table. Leo has to give a little two cent update about how everybody's doing. We need a quick quote from everyone that says something trite about their personality. Sure, delightful. <laughs> Percy says, hey, I'm a Poseidon kid. I can't drown and neither can my pancakes because do you remember how two books ago Percy was like worried about drowning? And then he didn't drown. And that's a little callback to that. Also, he likes syrup. Also, he likes syrup because of course he does. Sure. Um, we got a tip from Juno last time, if you remember from two weeks ago when we talked about this, that we have to go figure out something with Nike, the goddess of victory. She's she's having some problems and we need to, it's kind of unclear at this point, somehow resolve those problems. We need her to be better again or not causing problems for us And to do that, we have to go find her in Olympia. We need the goddess of victory to help us with our victory. So whatever it's going to take to make that happen is what we got to do. Yes, exactly. So we're strategizing. They're strategizing. (laughs) There's a lot of funny information where they're trying to figure out, like, what exactly is Nike the goddess of? Like, how are we going to, like, get her help? She's, like, very competitive because she's the goddess of victory. I liked that angle on her. What do we do? Start a flame war on Twitter, Leo says. I was like, ooh, Rick, using social media. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, he knows what Twitter is. Twitter fingers. I <laughs> love it. So true. Um, yes. A lot of this conversation is them figuring out who's going to go on the mini quest, you know, as as is often the case, because we can't all leave together too much power in one place. Piper offers to go, and Annabeth immediately is like, no, Piper, you can't. You're too much of a threat. There's some weird thing going on about misogyny here where Annabeth is like, Nike's own internalized misogyny is going Boo. to be triggered if Piper, who's really Boo. pretty and talented if magic shows up because Aphrodite blah 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 competition. Aphrodite <laughs> deserves justice. If the gods yeah. do exist, I know Aphrodite's up there just pissed at the way that men have been writing her character. I love Rick, but the way he does Piper is so filthy. Like it's giving mm-hmm. pick me girl even though she's cognizant she's not a pick-me girl, he keeps putting her in pick-me girl situations. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Even though she's very powerful now. As she deserves to be. I feel like he does the thing where he doesn't show us, he tells us. So rather than having Piper do really cool things, it's more so like, Piper's the most powerful. And Piper's going to intimidate them because she's so powerful. It's true. It's true. Show her doing something really badass. Like, I want to see that she's powerful. I don't just want to hear it. Exactly. Piper's good at sword fighting now. Exactly. There's no development. There's just random characteristics thrust upon her. And we don't get to see like where they come from, which is really yeah. frustrating. That's a good way of putting that. I just think it's really, really funny that there are these minor gods and goddesses who are so important in this overall struggle. And I think that these are my favorite parts of the books when you get to go and meet these minor gods and goddesses because I feel like that's really where Rick's voice comes through as an author who's like creating this world but if you need the goddess of victory it just makes me think there's a situation where it's like guys we're trying to go to brunch on Sunday and we need the goddess of great reservation like what's (laughs) happening here Uh, (laughs) like I think Rick is very very good at setting up these side quests but then it's always I feel like just delaying him to be like oh right I have to resolve this actual (laughs) thing that i'm setting up the whole book for um yeah because like does does nike come back even later like does this actually do anything yeah yes kind of yeah <laughs> it's not the most satisfying <laughs> she deserved to be in there even for the adidas joke the adidas joke is excellent well they decide that they're going to go in forbidden pairs to nike so like the combinations that are least likely to result in them being influenced by her competitive nature and accidentally killing each other this is interesting they note that percy and jason are a forbidden combination after which we get a delightful little bit of dialogue um percy goes i might kill my bro jason he's like yeah well i might kill my bro percy tense laughter ensues (laughs) that's enough men for me (laughs) (laughs) we also get annabeth frank as a forbidden combo because it's Ares, Mars, and Athena. They don't yeah, want to Mars and Athena. The rivalry. Okay. This book, every few chapters, they have to drop some foreshadowing about the fact that the Oracle doesn't work because Rick needs us to be ready for the next book, I guess. Trials of Apollo. So there's some more of that here before we dip out for our actual mini quest. Yeah. Who's going on the mini quest? This is uh, Percy, Leo, Frank, Hazel. Yeah. Good group. Good group. And we're off. They like land in Olympia and they're like, what do we do? We didn't actually come up with a plan. And I think it's Leo who says, blunder around together, let trouble find us. It has always worked before. I really love that energy. I've said it before. (laughs) Now that we're in the blood of Olympus, we just don't plan. We just kind of wait for the mess to start and then we do the thing. We're exhausted. (laughs) We're tired. We're doing our best. They're just like, let's go play around. Backing up just like a smidge. 
they're talking about forbidden combos and sending people who would not be good together. And did it come up that they literally sent people who are the embodiment of fire and water, which are like <laughs> the biggest opposite, like primal opposites no. of each also, other? Also, we're in Leo's head for this whole time. So we know that Leo has some thoughts and some feelings about Percy. Uh, water boy. <laughs> Leo's so mad that the puns are not hitting. It's just fake. It's literally fake. Literally, Percy was there for such a short amount of time. It's I mean, it's also just in Leo's head. Like, Percy's, like, vaguely apologetic, but, like, Percy's not, like, mad at Leo or anything. Leo's just, like, fuming. After they come out of this museum or whatever where they're looking for Nike, Leo is just furious. He is thinking about what a terrible person Percy is. And Percy's just like, oh, hey, are you mad? What's what's up? <laughs> what's up, my bro? <laughs> I don't want to kill my bro, man. Leo. <laughs> Like that scene where Don Draper, or like, I can't even remember the other guy's name. And he was like, I hate you. I think you're despicable. And then like John Hamm's character is like, I don't even think of you. I don't even think about you. Like that is the energy that is giving. It really is. It's true. It's literally fan behavior. Well, to me, it's like the TikTok videos that are going around where it's like Leo fuming and looking as angry as possible and Percy, like me, an empath, sensing that something might be wrong right now. Like Percy is not an empath, though. <laughs> not even that. <laughs> anyway, they get interrupted um, by, by uh, Hazel and Frank, and they're going to go off searching together in the ruins of ancient Olympia. Want to give us this myth background? Sure, yeah, let's talk about the Olympics a little bit. So, according to legend, the Olympics were started by Pelops, who is, of course, the namesake of the Peloponnesian Peninsula, where lots of important Greek things are. Like, most of Greece is the Peloponnesian Peninsula, <laughs> arguably. He was a king of Pisa. I personally know Pelops from the Deller's Book of Greek Myths in connection to the myth of his father, who is Tantalus. Presumably, we have all heard of Tantalus. It's not just a mountain in the back of Manoa. Tantalus is also... <laughs> of a king who thought he could put one over on the gods by feeding them literally the flesh of his son, Pelops. You may also remember him from being the sub for Chiron in the Sea of Monsters, who's like mean to everybody and like kind of likes Therese. Oh my god, that hungry bastard. Shout out to substitute teachers. We're on a shortage of <laughs> Yeah, nationwide shortage right now. <laughs> yep. So Tantalus like tries to put one over the gods by feeding them the flesh of his son. The gods are pissed. Tantalus is punished by famously having like the water that he cannot drink and the apples that he can't grab and everything, hence the word tantalizing, right? And so in response to this, the gods bring Pelops back to life because they're like, that was that was our bad. Um, you shouldn't have been killed to um, <laughs> put one over on yeah. us. Um, uh, so Pelops comes back. There's this whole other thing that happens later where like he is trying to get with this princess whose dad is really paranoid because an oracle told him that his son-in-law would kill him or be responsible for his death, I think is closer to the actual phrasing. So he challenges all of the suitors for his daughter to a chariot race and he like beats them all and he has killed 18 men who want to get with his daughter. Dad. <laughs> Pelops still wants to do it. But this time there are different versions of this myth about how exactly it happens. In most versions, he befriends the charioteer of the king who also hates the king because he's kind of an asshole. And the charioteer of the king fucks with the chariot. He puts wax in the axles, so the chariot is doomed from the start. The king is sort of doing well. The chariot falls apart. The king dies. It's kind of Pelops' fault, but not really. That's how we fulfill that prophecy. So Pelops takes over the kingdom and starts the Olympics to commemorate all that stuff that just happened, where he's married now, 
the old king is dead. We have to commemorate that with um, naked people doing sports. That's the historical, mythological genesis of all of this. I just learned so much. <laughs> Yay, Carter! <laughs> um, anyway, I don't think we're leaving anything out. That's basically the story. Yeah, they decide to hype up Adidas so that Nike will show up, and it works. It does actually work. <laughs> so we're going to have a Nike showdown. Yeah, let's take a quick break before we do that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. It's time for a showdown with Nike. Time to fight the crazy who is lady. a crazy lady. Of course she is. Say love makes you crazy. Therefore, you can't call me crazy. Because when, when you, you call, call me crazy, crazy you're just calling me in love. love. Yeah. Oh my God. You guys are so cute. I love you guys. Citations. That's Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Please, if you haven't yet. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's listening to the podcast this long and they haven't watched all of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, why are you still here? My bad. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> it's the basis of all of our critical thinking. Nike shows up. We see the manifestation of her being a crazy lady and the fact that she literally splits in two and is fighting with herself. We've had discussions about split personalities before, but this is the first time we've seen it. Actually, IRL, the fact that a god is fighting with themselves that's pretty sick because she's so competitive we have to assume that her two sides are really going to be fighting to come out so she's having a really hard time she decides to ask the greeks versus the romans to fight because she says she'll help somebody but only the winning victor and everybody who doesn't win needs to die a brutal brutal death sure 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 that to me seems like a cop-out of the goddess of victory but she's the goddess of giving victory to the person who won like that. <laughs> like she's like, like and I you won because I picked you as you were already winning. Like Yeah. Jackson, like, you always say things that make my mind think differently. <laughs> well, it's just like you don't get to say uh whoever wins has my help, but also I'm gonna abstain from this challenge, but also like bullshit. Okay. I think she's like this is like the appetizer, like you gotta earn like a real victory in round two i guess against the giants or maybe in the conflict that's gonna happen in long island coming up unclear well you like can't pick and choose like are you the goddess of victory or the goddess of victory when you feel like throwing your weight behind it like that's how i feel it's definitely the second one because that's how all of the (laughs) gods are which is so frustrating it is percy's upset this part is genuinely interesting because i didn't know how rick was going to take this exactly like what does it look like to have Percy and Annabeth emerge from Tartarus and doing something that no demigods have ever done before but also say like we're abstaining but also like they're still on the quest and they're still like critical to its success in some ways and I guess the way that we do that is by Percy being first of all just exhausted so tired and like over it giving maybe 80% of effort all the time but also yeah. he now maybe has like a chronic illness you know we stand chronic illnesses in this Leo was like observing that like Percy's like wheezing now like he's easily winded yeah the line says Percy seemed to get winded more easily these days probably because of that nasty acid air he'd been forced to breathe in Tartarus and my initial thought was okay he's so old and also he literally has a chronic illness now that he has to deal with 
he is older than everyone else you know like at the ripe old age of 17 maybe his knee cartilage is not what it used to be (laughs) it makes Mm -hmm. sense he was fighting for his life since like age 11 12 he's training constantly he's running constantly there are times where he's Mm -hmm. not eating on those quests the stress of having Uh to travel across the world there's always a timeline of like four to nine days that does a toll on you year after year he probably has an autoimmune disease from his trauma Mm. he is literally the embodiment of yes the body keeps the score (laughs) percy is feeling that (laughs) literally the poor thing blue dye number four probably isn't the most healthy thing either (laughs) (laughs) he has a gluten sensitivity He's sensitive to gluten, not to mention all of that shit that he did with his body when he was on his Achilles shit, when he was like, I'm invincible. His back probably hurts from all of that. Didn't he hold up the world for like a few minutes Also that. He also held up the world. So did Annabeth. That alone would have fucked up his lower back. I mean, there is a mention of how Annabeth, her ankle hurts all the time now because of the time that she sprained it when she was underneath Rome and she had to like try to yeah. fix it herself and then it continues to hurt in Tartarus and now it continues to hurt IRL. She has a long-lasting injury. There's no medical care at Camp Half-Blood. There's literally not an adequate health care for these children. There's just Will Solace. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Ambrosia isn't doing anything. They need Medicare. Literally give them health insurance. Maybe more people should be trying this whole unicorn drought thing because, like, you know, if it works for Nico, maybe some other people have some things to learn about themselves, is all we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, the way that this works, Nike gives him, like, prep time for some reason. This is giving me high school debate throwback. Um, <laughs> so, they're sitting there in the waiting pen, just devising a strategy for, like, two to four minutes. <laughs> In case anyone was wondering, Carter became the captain of our high school debate team freshman year. Oh my god. Freshman year. What kind of debate? Like Carly Pros? We were Lincoln Lincoln Douglas. Lincoln Douglas. (gasps) You're a rock star. You're literally a rock star. I'm in awe of you. Anyway, um, the the strategy is that it's a tag team between Hazel and Leo. Leo's, of course, going to get his non-magic magic spheres to set a trap for Nike while Hazel uses the mist and also earth bends and also brings up the labyrinth to <laughs> create a series of obstacles for them so they're gonna like try and look like they're fighting but actually we are like appearing behind these like oh did we mention the nikai nike also has summoned these golden statues that are like mini hers we're gonna like use the labyrinth to like jump scare these golden statues and kill them and then yeah once they're all gone we'll Go for Nike, I guess. But so exciting that we get to see Hazel continuing to use her mist powers after she stunted all over... What's her name? Pacifei. After she stunted all over Pacifei at the end of House of Hades. Yes. And also using the labyrinth against her, which is still around. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, I'm just going to rebuild the labyrinth every time I need to defeat a goddess. Slay. (laughs) (laughs) This gives time, though, for Percy and Leo to have a little little (laughs) chit-chat. This is from page 121. Hey, Percy said, if we don't make it out of this, shut up, man. We're going to make it. If we don't, I want you to know, I feel bad about Calypso. I failed her. Leo stared at him, dumbfounded. You know about me? The Argo 2 is a small ship, Percy grimaced. Word got around. I just, well, when I was in Tartarus, I was reminded that I hadn't followed through on my promise to Calypso. I asked the gods to free her, and then... I just assumed they would. 
with me getting amnesia and getting sent to Camp Jupiter and all, I didn't think about Calypso much after that. I'm not making excuses. I should have made sure the gods kept their promise. Anyway, I'm glad you found her. You promised to find a way back to her, and I just wanted to say if we do survive all this, I'll do anything I can to help you. That's a promise I will keep. He had trauma. Like, he had so many things going on. Yeah, so, that's so what I was thinking, too. Going on. That's not fair. <laughs> when he lays out the timeline, actually, like... It's like, I'm really sorry that I got amnesia for six months and forgot about Calypso. Um, I'm sorry I was trying to graduate from high school. I'm sorry I was trying to build a life for myself. He met her when he was like, what, 14? Yeah, he was like, 15? for that three-month period of time, I assumed the gods might do it. And then me not checking up on them in that three months, my bad, I guess. And then I'm sorry that I fell into Tartarus to open the doors of death from the other side. <laughs> I'm really sorry. What's that Narnia co- quote where it's like, don't quote the dark magic to me, which I was there when it was written. It's like, Leo, you haven't even dealt with the gods for that long. <laughs> Like, everyone knows they never do what they're supposed to do. Like, why is it up to one 17-year-old kid to make sure that they serve an immortal being? Like, they free her. He's not thinking about that. He's thinking about his amnesia and his missing girlfriend. And Tartarus. But so but so in character for Percy to feel such a strong need to apologize. Like, I didn't do enough. I needed to do more. I'm really sorry. It's totally my fault. He's emotionally mature. I mean, Loki, he could have done more as well. Loki, yes, yes, but also that. he is apologizing to Leo. To Leo, yes, not Calypso. It reminds me of the SNL skit "What's That Name," where basically Bill Hader plays the host of a game show, and it's like "What's That Name," and it's people bringing out just basically John Mulaney. Are you talking about the John Mulaney yeah, incarnation? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they bring someone out, and they're like, "This is your best friend. What's his girlfriend's name?" And he like cannot get it, and at the end he says, "I'm sorry, man." And Bill Hader goes interesting that you apologize to him and not to her it's almost like you don't i guess you just don't consider her a human being (laughs) and so like that's not cool bro good that you're apologizing that's not to the wrong person send a little handwritten note with leo when he goes you should have that ready be like my bad Hope you're okay. Put a goddamn message in a bottle and say, Dad, take this to Ojigia. Like, I'm not going, but it's an island and you control the goddamn ocean. Like, literally just think about that. He could have easily talked to her. Hermes has the hookup. We know Hermes has been there. Percy has Hermes on speed dial. He could have texted Butch Walker and been like, Yo, Butch, can you send an Iris message over to Ojigia and help me out with this? Because I have a girl I need to apologize to. Okay, now I'm pissed. <laughs> I completely forget that they have so much magic at their fingertips. There's like five different ways we immediately thought of how he could talk to her. I'm over it. I take back all my kind things. <laughs> I never even thought about the like capabilities of magic they all have access to. Yeah, he is a 17-year-old boy. Yeah, Percy's canceled. It is supposed to be hard. <laughs> like, I assume most of these things would not work, but, like, if Percy can call in a favor with, like, a god, then, like... This would be a good thing to call in the favor for. I like the idea, though, that, like, no one has ever found Ojigia twice, but it's not because it's super hard to find Ojigia and that it's magically shrouded. It's just because men suck. The true obstacle is men finding the ability in their hearts to apologize. It's not that it's actually hard. It's just that it's hard for them. <laughs> Send a lesbian there. Week and a half, they're moved in together. Week and a half. <laughs> they moved into Ojigia. They would never leave. 
long distance relationship, they would be sending messages in a bottle back and forth for two years yeah. until they could make it work. <laughs> I hate straight men. Not to let anyone off the hook here, Leo's response is also not giving. His response is basically like, oh, like, Percy, I hate you because you're such a good guy. How dare you be responsible in this situation? <laughs> and like, I just want to hate you and I can't. But also, this is just Rick reinforcing to the reader that the bar for men is Tartarus. Like, that is how low the bar is for men. Oh, he apologized to me because we both have a crush and it just leaves the female character out of it. And he's like, and you're such a good person. Ugh. Leo saying, I forgive you. Leo saying, it's all good. Same with Rachel Elizabeth there. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares if it's all good for you, Mm -hmm. Leo? Nobody gives a shit. (laughs) Percy, nobody cares that you're sad. Calypso's sad. It is really frustrating to me, the line that says, knowing Calypso had had a crush on Percy had made the feeling 10 times worse. Like, that is not two things. Years ago. One, that is not fair to put it in kid terms of, like, a crush. She is cursed to fall in love with these people. Literally. But also... A boy from the age of 14 to 17, that is not the pinnacle of what romantic attraction should be. And also kind of creepy that this immortal sorceress goddess is falling for literal children. Also, if Leo is getting jealous of the fact that Calypso had a crush on Percy, how is he going to come to terms with the fact that she's been alive for a millennia and had multiple relationships with every hot guy who's ever existed? (laughs) She and Odysseus were going it. Honestly, I'd slide through. I I would slide through. <laughs> Just given the opportunity. Well, no, I can't swim that well. I would literally <laughs> drown. I would literally be, I would drown trying. And I wouldn't fight it. She's a ginger. Oh, that's that. That's that. <laughs> oh, Ola, did you not hear? Ola, Calypso plays for the WNBA. Does anyone have a boat? <laughs> I would get on a boat right now. Okay, I would never. There's literally the most beautiful woman in the world behind me right now. My girlfriend's home. <laughs> backtrack, Ola. Backtrack. She's beautiful. It's good that Ola has her, her headphones in because Liv said no more WNBA oh jokes. <laughs> but Jackson is immediately going to tell her when we are done with this. So she knows. No, no, Let's no, no, no. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to snitch you Robbins this one. There's the WNBA, but have you ever seen the University of Hawaii women's volleyball team? No, and I don't want to. I'm in a happy, committed relationship. The Rainbow Wahines! I would never look at them. I'm going to pretend that's a demographic that doesn't exist. And they win every year. Yeah, they're powerful. I could get into sports. I could get into a new sport. Are they in the Olympics? Oh, God. Speaking of the Olympics, <laughs> Nike ends up blinded and trapped because Leo's spheres work. It's a gnat. And Nike's like, you idiot. Like, I'm a goddess. And you thought you would use a net. And then Leo's like, actually, no, I'm a child of a pessimist. So the net works. And we're all like, cool. Yeah, the net works. Sure, sure, sure. Why not? Yep. Um. <laughs> and once Nike is captured, she starts throwing out information. <laughs> She's like, no, I have all this stuff you guys need to hear. Like, first of all, one of you guys is going to die. One of the four is going to die in the final battle. This is important. Gasp. Pause. Who do we think it's going to be? Like, reading it now, I feel the Leo setup is, like, incredibly strong. Um, but also, if they were going to actually die and not come back to life, I think it would have been more elegant writing, frankly, for it to have if been it Percy. Percy. <laughs> but um, I would have assumed it would be Percy or Leo. But then Nike, immediately after she says this, she's like, one of the four of you is going to die, I guess, unless you just um, figure out how to cheat death or something, IDK. 
It's crazy that that's an option. <laughs> yeah, it's very crazy that's an option. The physician's cure, which I think becomes important also in Trials of Apollo. This is like now a thing. Mm -hmm. They have to get poison from Pylos, the Chains God's heartbeat in Sparta, the Curse of Delos. There's all these things that we're now going to have like, to do. She lays out like do. the next five mini quests for them to cheat death, which <sighs> is it not to everyone one of the great laws of world building? That once there is no level of death from which you cannot return, that the story doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like, I feel like that is sacred to me. <laughs> and I got really scared when I read this. And frankly, I'm still not 100% sold on the fact yeah. that death doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it, like, it upset me. It just seems like a poorly developed plot device. Thinking about how hard it was to watch all the characters we love yes. die in the fifth book. You're going to tell me you didn't use the physician's cure to save Charles Beckendorf? You murderer! That's what I was about to say! Beckendorf should not have lost that. That's ridiculous. Beckendorf deserved better. So much better. Bianca deserved better. I think it's interesting to place this here, especially as we're about to go into Nico's POV and into a Nico POV where we talk to Hades and we're thinking more about death. And we're talking about Bianca kind of a lot. And we're thinking, yeah, my first thought is Bianca, obviously. The worst of all the deaths, <laughs> personally, IMO, taken from us too soon. Yeah, I think this is true of basically every <laughs> every project that, like, once death loses its meaning. Even if you can, like, revive someone, like, there has to be some level of death that actually is legit, right? Like, there has to be something that yeah. you cannot return from. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm looking at you once upon a time and also the Avengers. <laughs> I was going to say the two most important examples of this are of course, once upon a time season five. And I want to say Loki coming back like 18 times. <laughs> Don't even talk to me about Avengers deaths. When Jackson and I watch Endgame, Jackson saw me cry for the first time in our entire friendship. That is not a fair description of what I saw transpire. Oh Unbeknownst to me, I was watching the movie. I look over because Ola and I are holding hands and then she squeezed my hand tightly and this is the Black Widow scene and I look over and Ola is weeping. Like, Aww. just sobbing. Silently. Her hair color is red. Her hair color is red. Fat tears. Fat tears the entire time. I feel like there's two reasons that death gets broken in long-running media and one of them is because they run out of ideas. Yeah. You have to elevate the stakes somehow. But then once you elevate the stakes, you also need to keep your characters. <laughs> and the other one is purely for fan service, which is like the case of Loki. And I would say that usually when it's done for fan service, I'm a fan. I feel serviced. Um, but maybe it's just because I'm not the biggest fan that <laughs> I don't feel serviced by the physician's cure. But yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, that is almost it for this perspective. The last thing we get is that after she gives us information, Nike's also like, yeah, I'm going to curse you. Frank responds by immediately just taking off his shoe and shoving his nasty, we know Dirty they're nasty. Come sock. on. He's described as looking like a linebacker. Those socks are disgusting. Jesus. Oh my he God. Shoves it into her mouth. This is a minor goddess. I just feel that this is not. Not the big boy slander. If you shove a sock into Zeus's mouth, power to you. Shoving a sock into Hera's mouth, 
delightful. All there for it. This is disrespectful. Nike is like a minor goddess. This is like some crazy lady who we just defeated, who also is like important to people. And like, I don't, I, I'm just, this rubbed me the wrong way. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is nasty. This is violent. It shouldn't have been her. And then they duct tape the sock down over her mouth. Like, oh. It was, it was an interesting choice. Like they're not even switching out the gag. It's still the sock. They're not making it to Elysium. That was cold-blooded. <laughs> And no one even tried to stop it. Fields of punishment. I feel like most of the time, minor gods and goddesses are the ones who have the harsher punishments because the major gods sometimes are like, well, you got the best of me and that doesn't happen a lot. But I'm so powerful that I respect you. And the minor ones are like, fuck you. I do not get enough attention from Olympus to let this slide. So I'm going to curse you and your entire family. On that note, we will see everybody next week for Nico's POV. We'll all be right back here, same time, same place for the most exciting POV yet. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye, all.